0: Before you begin listening to the show, I just want to give you a heads up that it contains adult language and humour and themes that some may find offensive. As usual, all opinions of guests are solely their own. Hello, I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art 92 and the co-creator of Premortis, a tale of modern horrors. And welcome to oh Men to That the chit-free, sporadic podcast series where I'll be talking to a selection of handpicked guests on a diverse range of topics, centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. On today's show, we're looking at comedy and humour, and my guest and I will be investigating what makes us laugh, and more importantly as creators, what do other people find funny? Comedy can make you laugh and cry at the same time, and often the roots of really good comedy are based in the realities that we all know and recognise. After all, as the old saying goes, there's no funnier than folk. So dust off your fez and settle back as we look at the art of comedy. So on today's show, I'm pleased to be joined by another returning guest, making his second appearance on the podcast since the infamous Glory Days of Wrestling episode. He's the creator of such titles as Bald, Plan A, Plan B, The King, and most recently Murder. In addition, he's a Twitch streamer, and even more recently, he became a father for the first time that he knows of. I assume. From the depths of South Wales, I'm pleased to say a big hello to the Max Boyce of the small press world. It's John oh. Tucker.
1: Oh, Damien, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Hello. God, that's such a compliment. Oggy, oggy, oggy.
0: I nearly started with Borodar,
1: but I didn't know what time people were listening to it, you see. So well, yeah, it'd be Borodar in the morning, pronounced Dar in the afternoon. Yeah. Nostar at night. Nostar, Nostar nice. I with a right.
0: night Yeah, because I lived in Wales for quite a while, so... We well, did say,
1: I, yeah, your old man was yeah. a bouncer
0: in, uh, in a holiday camp, wasn't he? Yeah, in, in Sowing. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Which is like... You know, it's kind of like the uh, the holiday equivalent of Vietnam back in the eighties. All the summer,
1: yeah, <laughs> happy days.
0: Anyway, how are you, mate? Welcome to I'm, the show.
1: I'm good, boss. Thank you very much for having me back. Yeah. Very no, good. thanks. Thanks for coming on, and uh, you're all safe and well. All good, yeah. All safe and well, as you said. Um, yeah, I just had, uh, I had my first kid, so uh, that's that's happening. But yeah, no, all good. All good. She well? She she doing okay? She's doing all right, yeah. She's uh, screaming the house down, um, but I am adapting. I'm learning because you know you you just you learn, don't you? Like so, you know, learning how to because I had to fulfil murder when she was really really small. So you know you learn how to stuff envelopes with a with a newborn in your arm. And anyone who's had a copy of murder, I did that with one hand <laughs> because I had her in the other. You know, so you do learn to adapt. I've learned how to draw carrying her. Learned how to do lots of things, do you know what I mean? But um, yeah. no, she's she's well, thank you mate, yeah, good.
0: Yeah, good, good stuff mate, good stuff. And uh, we've adopted a dog recently as well,
1: so. Oh, of course,
0: yeah. It's good, yeah, Marty, he's doing well actually. He's uh, he's a bit antisocial, which is interesting. Yeah. So he's, he's very brave from across the road. He'll kind of look at people and go like, oh, hello,
2: you know, all right.
0: <laughs> and then when they come over and try and pet him, he's like, oh, I don't like that. I'm just going <laughs> to hide behind you, you know. He's not kind of vicious in any way. I don't I think the only time no, he no. barks is when he wants to go to the toilet. No, he's
1: um, coy. He's coy.
0: He's well, he's a soft ass, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. Apart from the first night when we got him and he woke us up every two hours howling, but he soon, <laughs> he soon calmed down. Bless him, and he's he's great. So he's been he's been the one highlight of all this shit show of a pandemic that we're in at the moment. So
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's it. So today we're going to talk about comedy and humor. And right. things like things of such an ilk, so it probably won't be very funny if you're listening.
1: Oh no, I wouldn't have thought it'd be very funny, no. you know. You know,
0: because whenever I hear people talk about comedy, they just fucking kill it, don't they? So.
1: Oh, I know. It's very it's dry talking about comedy, isn't it? Yeah. But we'll give it we'll we'll give it a go, and if it starts to flounder, we'll just get back onto the Montreal Screwjob. And I'll, and I'll, yeah, and I'll introduce a couple of comedy sound effects after when I'm yeah,
0: editing, yeah. It if, if we get really desperate. But uh, <laughs> so, for anyone that isn't familiar with with your work, do you want to just tell us a little about what you do and what your history of kind of art
1: and small press is? Yeah. Okay. So potted history then. You know, I've been like drawing all my life, you know, just just cartooning basically, just you know, doodling around, and uh, never had any training or any of that. And then I went to um i moved to manchester for university i went to manchester met and um uh from cardiff and while i was there the first job I was there, i started working on a student magazine and the process i mean and that was the most fun i had the whole time i was there it was me a good friend of mine was on the editorial board with me and all the rest of it and none of us were like the most qualified people for the jobs we had on that magazine but we were the only ones who would do it so that's why we were there you know so mm we were just it was it was a constant race against the clock you know like cuz we didn't really have time to enjoy the the result of our work ever because you know like you'd finish one issue yeah and that had to go off to print like that day and then work on the next issue would have to start long before the previous one had come out so by the time that one had come out and you picked it up you were already you were way, that was way in the rear view mirror already mm-hmm. to you because you were already working on the next one. And I think I kept a bit of that. I've still got an element of that now. Like as soon as something's done and out, that doesn't matter anymore. Now we need to move on. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, and that's a fault of mine. Cause it, you know, if you're, you know, if you're like a small press person or whatever, you've got to be pushing your stuff all the time. I mean, you've got to be you know, constantly cause it's not, you know, you've got to be reminding people that you're there. Cause these take, these things take quite a yeah. long time to make. Yeah. But, um, and then that folded up that year because, you know, they change the staff over every year. Mm. And I thought, well, what do I do now? But Manchester had this, you know, because um, like the, there's, like, the northern quarter of Manchester, which is, uh, you know, like it's all the record shops and, like, Affleck's Palace. And, like, it, it, you know, it, I think in, like, in, in years gone by, it was, like, a proper, like, you know, oddballs and misfits mm. area of Manchester. Like it's, I think it's a bit more, um, you know, it's sort of, like, it's a bit more yeah. hip now. It's yeah, a little a bit, bit
0: more hip. Bit, yeah. You
1: know, and, uh... Yeah, and I, I think I think a bit of that was was happening while I was there as well. But um, um, you know, all the the cafes and the bars and stuff. You'd go into them, and um, in the windowsills, there'd be stacks of flyers for these club nights that sounded like you know mm. worse than being in the fucking neck. But there'd also <laughs> be these piles of zines, just like handmade zines right and um and, and you can go and you can go back an episode or two and listen to rachel lee carter talking about that because she knows more about it than i do but um i pick these things up and i read them i think who the fuck's made this why has someone done this do you know what I mean? mm-hmm. and you're looking at it because everything's be like poetry and like this is you know this is why i decided to go vegan and, and if you're not vegan as well then fuck you <laughs> and it was like yeah i just yeah you know, i just i was i was just I don't know. I, Cause you know, I just had this like publishing experience and then I saw all this stuff and it all looked different and you know, you, you you got a sort of sense of who was behind it. So I thought, well, I can just carry on making stuff. You know, you haven't got to ask anybody's permission. You just make it. Yeah. So I started making these little comics and giving them away, just like stacking them up and then cycling off. And you know, and then I, you know, moved back to Cardiff, had to go and get a job, you know, all the rest of it. And then I circled back around to it around like 20, I think it was 2016. But by then, things had changed, you know, because mm. when I was doing the zines thing, this would be like 2010, like Thought Bubble was still like a regional power, you know? It wasn't like a... Na- uh, well, maybe my, um, you know, understanding of it was wrong, but it didn't feel like a national gotta-be-there conven- It was like a, a yeah. big regional thing. Yeah. But it had exploded since, you know? Mm. And, you know, comics had all gotten very slick. So, um, you know, that's when I started getting my stuff professionally printed and all the rest of it and that's kind of like you know the like the modern era things like you know like like you mentioned like you know the taxi and bald and all that stuff was all done in the last couple of years and that's when i've really been sort of putting effort into it because i thought well i can probably still do this and i did enjoy it so i might as well just do it again do you know what I mean so that's how i kind of circle back around to it but um so, sorry it was a very long part of history but anyway to, to sort of describe the work it's you know it's um you know like absurdist kitchen sink like a mix of you know a taste of honey and like the league of gentlemen do you know what i
2: mean
1: yeah yeah i'd say that's probably the best way to describe it it's like normal people but then something um there's like some absurd twist or some weird thing that happens and it's them it's usually an allegory for something else and it's them processing that and some of them are funny some of them are not i'm not an expert on comedy i will say that off the bat like i'm not going to come on you and be like you know, um, yeah. I'm actually, you know, I, I'm not going to come on here and say I invented comedy. And, you know, like you didn't invent I did not comedy. Didn't invent comedy in comics. So I don't know about comedy, on, but like, on, I need <laughs> to stop this here.
0: You know, you know what I mean.
1: Like you know, I don't, do. want and be giving it Billy Big Potatoes about it. But you know, I'm I'm not an expert, but I do take it really seriously, yeah. which is almost as good as being an expert. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's less. Yeah, exactly, yeah, but I, I think. <laughs> I think that's a you know I think that's a decent synopsis. I think,
0: yeah. and it's interesting that you describe your work as absurdist because that that's a real. I was trying to find the um the right kind of word to describe it, and I couldn't really hit on something because there's elements of of surrealism, but not not to the extent where it, it takes you out, you know, fully surrealist. It, it it's always yeah. within the moment. So I think absurdist is, is actually really good. It reminds me a lot of um for, we grew up in the the era. Of things like, you know, the young ones and stuff like that when, when what they didn't term alternative comedy, but it was just different. Yeah.
1: Um it wasn't you know, public school boys having a laugh. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And and it was it was that that lovely sort of movement of, you know, like you take the young ones for example, you know, and they, it'll be like the guys sat around a table arguing about politics. Yeah. And then there'll be two hamsters trying to blow the house up or something, or a piece yeah. of talking cheese. And it was just it was just that kind of level of what the fuck is going on here that like finding your work to to a degree
1: yeah it always makes me chuckle oh well Um, that's good because they are meant to be comedies um but no i agree with you like because i I, you know someone someone said it's like surrealist social realism mm. you know so like social surrealism which i think is pithy i don't like saying that because it's you know it's, it's it sounds like i'm trying to get a catchphrase going and there's nothing worse but you know what i mean like it's like this sort of off it's like it's almost like you know, in like in like science fiction, where every now and again, like reality just, zip, zip, just sort of like appears yeah. and then goes away again. Yeah. It's like that moment of a, of a science fiction film, but extended across a whole comic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. And another thing is, what I take from it, it's, it's very, because um, not. I mean, I love David Lynch, um, and yeah. I get a, get a sense of Lynchian about what you do because yeah. you know, David Lynch is, is a very funny guy and if you've never seen his films listening to this yes they do swing from from you know the very dark to the even darker but there's some really really like comedy moments in there and oh, yeah. again yeah. You, you capture that for me that's probably why I like what you do because it the day starts off like any other day and then all of a sudden it goes into a, a place that you just weren't expecting
1: it yeah and, you know, it, well, the thing is, like, you know, a lot of that came from, like, is you know, when I was growing up, like, I, I was born in 87. So, like, by the time I was, like, I don't know, 10, mm-hmm. um, like, the the things that I really loved on television were, like, the Fast Show. Yeah. You know, I loved yeah. the Fast Show so much. And it was just, you know, because it had, it was, it was people that you knew, you know. And another thing that I really loved was, um, which it was less on the absurdist side, but I loved, like... Like the royal family, mm. you know. I think Caroline Home was was probably the best comedy mind that we produced of the last fifty, 50 years or whatever. Say right, because mm. it was it was the way real people talk to each other, and you know, like I've I've said this on podcasts before, but like you know, I I think you know some of the funniest people I knew in my life were just like mates of my dad's who didn't know they were being funny. Yeah, you know, it was just the way they talk to each other. I always thought that was really you know the sort of like you know the rice smiles and the nods and the winks and all the rest of it. You know, I thought that was really funny. But then you know, as I was growing up and getting older and especially while i was at manchester you know because because i went to a university that had that took great pride in its art school and even though i wasn't i was in science and engineering i Mm. wasn't in the art school but we could still take advantage of all their like extracurricular programs and they had this like running film night and someone said to me um you've got you've got to come and see this film tonight you've got to come and see it and they were they were free. I said oh. I said oh, okay yeah maybe. He said no not maybe. He said you gotta come and have a look. Right. I said what is it? He says the piano teacher. Have you ever seen this film? I don't think I have now. It's two thousand and one right. Um, Isabelle Huppert. Um, right. it was all in French. It was subtitled right. And um, it was about this. It's about this like this stern older French lady who's um in you know a music academy giving a, a piano lesson really sternly. And then she packs up to go home for the night. She doesn't smile once and isn't nice to anybody or whatever. And she packs up her bags and she walks out the door and the camera follows her, right? And it's s- slow paced. And she walks out of the building and into like a shopping center. She goes up the up the escalator. You're following her the whole time. And she goes in to, and she's, you know, she's got like the, the big coat tied up and she's, you know, just... Flat-faced and stern, and you know you, you sense you know quite conservative and reserved. You just think it's about this hard-nosed piano teacher. And she goes into this pornographic bookshop in the shopping centre, and she goes into the back, and there's like a like little booths, like little porn booths. And she goes in and she puts some money in the slot, and they're showing on the screen like hardcore like dick and ass porn. <laughs> and she's watching it just sat there with her hands on her hands in her lap just watching it and then she looks down and there's a bin of like tissues right used tissues and she reaches down picks one up and starts sniffing it and you're like what the fuck am i watching <laughs> and it's like that for the whole film and you're like what the fuck am i looking at but then you realize oh it's all in service to this wider sort of mood they're trying to create you know because did they have to show that no but it did create this uh, this sort of like overarching thing. So like even yeah. though, like that, that's not a funny film. You know, it's it's got funny moments yeah. in it. But it's not it's not a comedy, but stuff like that and like like you said like some like David Lynch stuff and all the rest of it and, and like even some like old you know Tom Kitchen saying you know some old like Sheila Delaney stuff and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing and like the birthday party and things like that. I loved all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. it was just you know as some people say oh there's, you know you know there's no point. You know what I mean? Like it's just people doing nothing, but. You know, I I loved them. Do you know what I mean? And that yeah. that all really informed what I do.
0: Yeah, and I I agree. I mean, even now, you know, I love watching films about nothing. Yeah. You know, you you, you read reviews of things, people are going well, nothing happened, and you're like, it's about people, it's about life, you know, and yeah. that's invariably more interesting and more humorous than stage setups of yeah. comedy gags and pratfalls and stuff. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, I like a good
1: pratfall. And, and, you know, one of the things I've always loved is Laurel and Hardy. I've same. always loved Yeah, that. I was yeah. raised on Laurel and Hardy and uh, the Marx Brothers. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I do love as I've got a little bit older, I think, is that that kind of almost real-life comedy. Some of the yeah. things that you can relate to, like you say, because my dad was a minor and, you know, mm. my mum, they were both kind of, like, really firm, like what we would call working class, I suppose. Yeah, so we same. grew up with people that used to talk and tell stories and, and they'd have you in stitches yeah. just, and even now, I mean, I love nothing more than listening
1: to people just recount stories. Exactly the same. Yeah. Like it was very much the same. Right. My, Cause my old man um, worked in a quarry for 40 odd years. I think it was. Mm. And, um, and, you know, these were, it was like 12 hour days, six days a week and all the rest of it. And, you know, my mum stayed at home to raise me, but we didn't have, you know, we didn't have two pennies to together when I was growing up. Like, mm. but you know the people that my dad knew through the quarry. You know they would come round the house, and all the rest of it. And they would tell you. A, and like my uncle Nick, um, is the kind of person who tells you a story that he thinks is funny, and he's laughing before he's even got to the funny bit. Yeah. He's anticipating it, so you you can't help but laugh with him. No. You know what I mean? Like it's no. stuff like that, and I I just think that there's something inherently, I don't know, just something inherently funny about the way people entertain each other real people you know so i try and bring a lot of that because that's why i don't really use like speech bubbles and stuff it's almost as if someone's telling you their story in the pub afterwards do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean because that's Mm -hmm. That's you know how I always you know that most of the funny stories I heard growing up were told in that format. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you something that happened to me the other week, and this is no word of a lying wing dude. Right? Know. All the yeah, you know, it was a load of bullshit, right? Yeah. And they would be they in you ear for god knows how long. And I say I thought this car deal was coaching out right because Jeff he had the most horses in Wales for two months <laughs> in 1986. And it's like why have I heard this? You know what I mean, like. And there's a history of people, like, uh, like you know, people saying, you know, oh, the, uh, the working class, they've got, like, a folksy wisdom about them, you know what I mean? Uh, it just warms your heart. It's not that. It's, you know, it's it's just that's what I grew up around, and that's what I thought was funny. Yeah.
0: You know? So that's is, what
1: know? I've tried to inject into my stuff.
0: Yeah. And real life is funny. I mean, it might not be funny it at is. the moment, but,
1: you know.
3: <laughs> no.
0: But it, it is. And people's experiences are funny. And I, I can remember um, when my mum was alive, she, used to text, she had loads of stories about working in factories and... and Stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, I wished, I really wish my one regret is that I'd written them down or in some way, yeah. you know, recorded them because I can't remember that. I can remember bits of them, you know, and they they involve graveyards and lifts and all sorts of stupid things that they used to do. But th- we were genuinely in stitches, you know. Yeah. And um, that's that's my one regret. I never captured those. But you're right, you know. There's nothing like they say. There's no funnier than folk and genuinely on a comedy sense that's true isn't it I
1: think so so.
0: uh, yeah so speaking about kind of comedy then more broadly I mean did what were your main influences growing up you know what from from named famous comedians and stuff
1: so we know Laurel and Hardy's obviously one Mark's Brothers things like that
0: but was anybody else
1: um when I was growing up um it was it was Paul Whitehouse Carolina Hearn Mm. um Carolina Hearn was a huge one you know because it wasn't just like you you don't think of like you know, when you think of like great working class comedy in this country, right? And I'm sorry to keep banging on about the working class, but it is it has informed the work, so I'm just going to carry on yeah, regardless, right? Yeah, fine. <laughs> But uh, when you think of like the great working class comedies in it, in this country, right? You think of stuff like the Royal Family, and um, I'm just trying to go another one on top of my head, but you don't tend to think of like Mrs. Merton, do you? Like, and it wasn't a sitcom, like the talk show that um yeah, Carolina yeah. had as Miss Merton. You know, you don't think of like Mrs. Merton as like a classic working class comedy, but she would get these impossibly, some of these impossibly famous people to come in, and she had the shield of looking like an old lady, sort of, mm. to ask these innocent questions in front of a room full of old people, of older normal, you know, civilians. You know, this was not a young hip comedy crowd. These were, it, was, it was filmed in front of an audience of old people, and the really interesting thing they did was they put the audience of old people on camera behind what was happening. So you could see yeah. them reacting. Yeah. So, and the the people on the couch knew that they were visible as well. So they couldn't really give her anything back, could they? And I thought, yeah, you know, I thought, like, Carolina Hearn wrote so much stuff that I, you know, really loved. You know, a lot of her fast show work. Yeah. and um, Well, family, that kind of thing. So she was a huge influence. That
3: looks nice. Myself and we went to a Chinese restaurant last night. Walk around the clock outside it said all you can eat buffet 7.99 i said oh roy 7.99 what did i say roy 7.99 well we went in and we ate and ate in fact roy went up to the buffet seven times which they said was a record and then i got out my carrier bag because i will not pay 5p for a carrier bag and i was putting in some eggy fried rice Chicken child mine, porn crackers, you know, for mine and Roy's tea during the week. Next thing, the manager's out from the back. Whoa, whoa, what you doing? What did he say, Roy? Whoa, whoa, what you doing? Well, an argument ensued, and then he maybe put it all back. I said to Roy, that's a bit steep. What did I say, Roy?
0: You said
1: you're a bunch
3: of twats. I did not say that, Roy. Oh, no, I did. I did say it, yes. (laughs)
1: um paul whitehouse and charlie hickson obviously as well for the work on the fast show which i you know again i think there were a lot of like really touching scenes in that because it's, it's kind of a thing now where like you know you see things like a lot a lot of sketch shows will throw in like a sad one every now and again mm. you know what i mean but i think they can you know the, like the i don't know if familiar with the fast show but i think everybody knows the sketch of like the the fella who owns the the stately home and ted and, and, ralph. Ted, ted yeah. and ralph
0: yeah yeah Oh, there that was, was
1: that built to a real. It was like, just. It was. It was heartrending, wasn't it? You yeah. Know it was. I mean? like, it was. And it was. And it was all about unspoken stuff and looking at the floor and you know not being able to express what you're really feeling and all the yeah. rest of it. And the office as well. That was another one. You know, it, you know, for all that Ricky Gervais, you know, you know, mm-hmm. has gone on to do since, not all of which I've rated. And I think he has, you know, um, getting high off his own supply a little bit in mm-hmm. terms of how he is personally, but. The Office was a was was art. Do you know what I mean? Like the the, the British Office was a tr- it was a mirror back to the people watching it. Do you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. a, in a way that we hadn't really had before. So like yeah, like The Office, The Fast Show, The Royal Family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Growing up, like obviously, obviously, you know, things like The Simpsons. And a lot of the people who you know, and then when I got older, like a lot of the people who had written for The Simpsons. There was a fellow called John Swartzwelder. Who you know? If you think of like a classic Simpsons episode from like the first couple of series, there's a good chance he wrote it. Yeah. But he's but he's a recluse. He doesn't. He won't appear on the commentaries. There's only like one photograph of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won't won't go out. He's like a hardline recluse. Won't go out. And then after he left The Simpsons, he started writing these like absurdist novels, like detective caper novels Mm. and they are some of the funniest books i've ever read in my life you know like there's one he did called them the time machine did it which i which i think is probably the funniest book i've ever read but um so like things like that i yeah i think i think i quite like considering the time i grew up i think i probably like quite a conventional you know appreciation of like comedy at the time Mm. you Mm. know
0: yeah so i'm a little bit older than you i know people may find that hard to believe (laughs) but i am so i mean speaking about kind of that and again that working class kind of comedy thing one of the things that i always remember that that struck me was um and again talk about heart-wrenching stuff was boys from the black stuff and i don't know if you've ever seen it so I thought, you've seen I i've never
1: seen that
0: one so it's alan bleasdale and mm. it was a series of, of basically like i think they're like one hour shorts and they were all kind of interconnected because it was all about the same guys in liverpool because everyone was losing their job you know it's height of. Yeah. britain um i won't mention the name of the prime minister because we don't swear that badly on this show
2: no, but
0: no, no. she was you know set about just destroying whole communities and it was about the effects that had on on people and families new drama this autumn awesome on bbc2 includes boys from the black stuff the former gang of tarmac layers now among the liverpool unemployed hey
3: What now? What chances have you got of leaving school with any qualifications if you're never there in the first place?
0: Qualifications? Well, what's wrong with
3: qualifications?
0: You need nuclear physics to
3: be a bit man these days, Dad. I've got no money. Oh, well, I mean, that explains everything. Yeah, I'm never having a hard time with the HP. I mean, all those friggin' instalments. You send the stuff back then? I would if I could, but I've sold most of it already. Here I am, a man! (laughs) (laughs) A man. A man with no job. Looking for one. I'm not trying to find a scarlet Pimpernel. Take a look around you, girl. We form the majority round here. Only some fellas are lucky enough to have wives who recognise that fact. All right. I can take it, you know, logo. I can take it, because I know my beliefs are right. I've been brought up by my dad to support what's weird supporting.
2: Yeah?
3: I didn't know your dad followed Everton. A series of five new plays by Alan Beesdale. Boys from the
0: Blackstaff. You know, a, there was a brilliant one. Um, I think it was called Chris's Story or something like that. And Chris and his wife, and, and his wife was Julie Walters, and they're basically, you know, they've, they've got no money and they're starving and he's got this this chicken in the garden. Yeah. And it builds and builds to this crescendo where he says, right, fuck it, and he just goes out and he kills the chicken and he brings it in. And he dumps it on the table. He goes, "There you go, you know. We'll eat the chicken." And then she points out that you know the gas is turned off, so they can't cook it. <laughs> and it, and it was that kind of level of through the, through the vein of it all. It was really funny. You know, there's, a, there's another famous one with the um, the guy called Yossi Hughes, played by Bernard Hill, mm. and he's he's basically just got in the. It's about him having a mental breakdown. So it's you know, it's very sad, and he loses his kids and and all this stuff, but. Again, there's this little bits in there that are so true to life. He sat in a pub in Liverpool and he sat opposite Graham Sooness, who was huge at the time. You know, he's like the Liverpool yeah. captain and stuff.
3: You're Graham Sooness, aren't you? Yeah. I'm Yoshi Hughes. who's to meet you. You look like me. Oh, eh? Magnum as well
0: you know and he looks nothing like him. Yeah. he's just got a mustache <laughs> and it's it's just all that, that kind of bizarre you know slice of life that people do but yeah that was the first thing I remember watching like yeah. that that I thought I really like this because it connects with me it's because I know people you know I mean my dad was a miner through the miner's strike so we we went through that thing of basically being starved and yeah, you know, and all that, and it really struck. So I, I get where you're coming from with with things like you know the royal family, again, yeah. Well, that's it. Just like and, and also up in our house that, you know. Yeah,
1: of course, yeah, yeah. And like, you yeah, know, and, and thing is, even that that was like a very like you know that was like a northern centric um, presentation. You know, it was mm-hmm. all you know northern actors. You know, like they took Sue Johnston and Ricky Thomas and just peeled them straight off Brookside. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they saw him yeah. as a couple on Brookside and just peeled them straight off and just said, that's right, awesome. you, you know, you're the parents, right. And they couldn't, um, they couldn't have picked better people for those no. roles. You know, what I mean, Sheila, you know, Sheila Delaney would have killed for Ricky Tomlinson. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, you know, but uh, you mentioned Julie Waters and another one that um that I really loved growing up. This is this is my mother's influence. Was um Victoria Wood? Yes. Yeah. You know, and and there's and there was another thing with this which I was gonna mention, which was um I remember watching Alexi Sale talking to Stuart oh. Lee about Alexei Sale. <laughs> me too. Right. T- talking to him about the comedy scene in the eighties. And he said, "Well, you know," he said, uh, "the uh, he said the left makes the same mistakes over and over again, but the right only makes them once, right?" He said, "Because uh, you've got, you know," he said, "the '80s." He said, "Basically, he said comedy was was subsidized at both ends, because there was the art centers, there was all this stuff, you know, there was like you know, it was basically government subsidized venues and all the rest of it, mm. but there was also, um, you know, a a a, de- a decent dole, a lot better than we got today at least." and there was also a load of make work civil service jobs And he said so you would go into the office with a bunch of crusties you'd pass the same piece of paper around all day you pick up your money at the end of the day and then you go down the comedy store mm-hmm. you know he said so it was it was possible for younger working class people to get into comedy and that's much harder now you know mm-hmm. like it, you know because if you let's say you want to be a stand up comedian now You know, I know people who did an Edinburgh Festival show a couple of years ago, and they're still paying off the paying off the loans for it, and they got nothing out of it. You
2: know
1: what I mean? So, you know, I I think he was right. You know, I think it was like a transformative time, and like Victoria Wood came out of that, and like Mm -hmm. my mum loved Victoria Wood, so like her stuff was always on in the house, and there was a lot of that. You know, sort of, um, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit sort of like. You know, like if you think of the royal family, it is so dry, you know, mm-hmm. and like Victoria was a bit, you so like a sillier, and there's a few more like knowing winks at the camera and that kind of thing. But it was all based in the same sort of experience, do you know what I mean? And even yeah. though, again, it was a northern presentation, you rec- you, you see yourself in it, do you know what I mean? Because as you, yeah. you know, like like you said, you know, you went through the minor strike and all that, you know, but I, I you know, I could see elements of my dad in Jim Royal, I could yep. see, you know, uh, people we knew in, like the Victoria Wood show and all the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? You could see yourself in it, and I think that was really important. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that, right. yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: And uh, my favourite um, Alexei Sale line as well was always when he said, "The uh, I once went out with the model. She was an fixed kit of a Stuka dive bomber." And I <laughs> about that as a kid. Always stuck with me. Always, I used to, I used to quote it all the time. And <laughs> talking, let's move away from kind of uh, maybe uh, TV stand-up comedy and things like that, and. Yeah. what about sort of american influences do you have any of those i mean we, we were talking before the show about our mutual love of john
1: waters and you know oh, and yeah. i think that's where we get more into the absurdism
0: that that
1: appears in your work yeah i'd agree yeah john Waters um informed a lot of that definitely um god i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like america like american influences on the work because thing is there isn't really like you know there's not there isn't like an american ken loach you know what i mean yeah. like there isn't a tradition of working class cinema in america yeah. and you know a lot of the and you know a lot of the, t- the television comedy in america especially through the um sort of the 80s and 90s it was all um e- even though the people were you know e- even if they were cast as down and out it was all essentially aspirational mm-hmm. you know because like you'd see you know um yeah you know, there's there's the, the classic observation that you know the 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 people in friends uh, yeah, after them uh, are deadbeats so if they've got a job at all, but they live in these in- insanely large apartments. And all, do you know what I mean? Like, so was, I, th- I think it was, um, you know, I th- I th- there was, there was less. I think there was less of it in America that I remember. I mean, um, I mean things like I'm trying, I'm trying to think of an example now, but um, things like um, like Tim and Eric, you know, like um, which then went on to inform something domestically. That also mm. there was an even bigger influence on me which was Limmy Scottish comedian Limmy um mm. he's probably you know of, of any because you know I, I've read his autobiography you know I've you know I've seen him live I've watched everything he's ever done and I think he's probably like the the person I probably like identify with the most Do you know what I mean like yeah yeah the person whose work is most informed my own and like the person like probably the best like contemporary Comedy voice in the country, I think, anyway. Mm. And, um you know, so I think, like, yeah, it's like Tim and uh, yeah, in America, like Tim and Eric was an influence. I mean, for the, you know, it's difficult to say. I mean, like, the, the, the Simpsons, King of the Hill was probably more of an influence than The Simpsons, right? Because it was quite dry, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was quite, yeah. it was quite, so, and if you look at, like, because, it, because King of the Hill was Mike Judge, right? who also did Beavis and Butthead, which, again, which I thought was genius, right? Mm. Um, But if you look at, like, Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill, as compared to other animation, and Daria, which um, Mike Judge also had a hand in, Mm. um, if you look at them, compared to other animated shows around the time, where there's these big exaggerated motions, and they're playing with the laws of physics a little bit and all the rest of it, and blah, blah, blah there's none of that in anything Mike Judge did. It was, you know, people move like they do in real life. It was very slow and reserved. You know, it could have been a sitcom. They could have cast real actors to do that show and it could have worked just as well. Mm. You know, because it was, you know, they use really subtle facial expressions and subtle Mm. voice acting. You know what I mean? And it was you know, a more sort of realistic presentation. So I think, my, yeah, Mike Judge has been an influence. I'm trying, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of American ones because
0: yeah, it is cause a lot of I mean, mean, it has
1: been Welsh and British. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: mean, I, loved, um, I mean, I loved American stand-up. One of my sort of heroes is Richard Pryor. Mm. And I know it's, it's oh, difficult yeah, it's now. When, news, yeah. yeah, in the context of, of today, you know, people go, ooh, Richard Pryor. But, you know, when you look back at the... Uh, the time that he was doing that that comedy, I mean, it was cutting edge. He was one of those people that, that blazed the trail. Yeah. um And he was just a genuinely f- interesting and funny guy as well. You know, when you you read about his life and the way he grew up and stuff. And yeah. from TV, I guess the only sitcom at that time that that I found a bit of an influence on me that was that was markedly different to anything else that was on because you're right, you know, US TV sitcoms were a of a certain kind of flavour, weren't they? You know. Yeah, we all had
1: nice children. hours is and tidy jobs yeah. and
0: yeah. Well, married with children was almost the anti-sitcom because yes. yeah. you know, it was it was about working class people in America, but they weren't aspiring to do you know, Al was just aspiring to go to bed and never get up again, you know, never wake up, hopefully. And yeah, I I loved everything about that. And again, you know, yes, it's probably not aged well if you were to sit and watch it now and you kind of had to watch it with a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of a mind of when it was created and it's a bit tits and arse and things like that. But it captured a, a, a side of American life that I'd never seen in comedy
1: before. Well, as great
0: that, as that, cheers and things were, yeah, it, it was dirtier than that in a sense of it was realer than that.
1: Yeah, and the King of the Hill was that for me, you know, mm-hmm. because it was about, like, a small, like, conservative town. And, like, a show like King of the Hill I don't think would really work now. Because it was sort of like the last of the, you know, because it was about, um, you know, a Republican propane salesman in the heart of Republican Texas, someone who voted for Bush and liked his beer and liked his grill and all the rest of it, right? And I don't think, I, I think something like that, and, and that played well on both sides of mm-hmm. the aisle, you know, because like, liberals in America loved it, because you know, um, you know, it was sort of like the, you know, the foibles of Texas and like you know Texas way of living and thinking and all the rest of it and republicans loved it because it, you know especially people who lived in places like arlen texas they loved it because it was a reflection of them you know yeah and the people that they and the, the real people that they knew in their communities you know because i don't mm. know how familiar you are with king of the hill but like there's a character in it called Boomhauer who you know oh, why oh, oh, oh talk, talk like that man no but, oh, dang, oh, but so you can't hear a word he's saying <laughs> you know and I remember seeing an interview with Mike Judge, and he said, you know, it's the amount of people who come up to me and said, "I know a Boomhauer, I know someone like that who you can't <laughs> understand a word they say," you know. What I mean? So, but yeah, you yeah. know, I I think you know with with things being you know especially now that you know a lot of entertainment in America has been sort of like like weaponized in this sort of like partisan culture war yeah, they've yeah. got going over there, which is you know fucking ridiculous. You know, I, I don't think a show like that would be yeah. made now, or maybe wouldn't work quite as well. But I think you know for the time I I I thought it was so funny like it was remarkably funny show like yeah. you know, and, and um you know and then the people that I guest on um randy savage was in an episode <laughs> you know they, they, had, they had they had some real heavy hitters but no I, th- I yeah i think um it was definitely more british for me but things like yeah. king of the hill which was slower and you know a bit more in the sort of like british sitcom model like stuff like that I i really loved
0: yeah, and it's interesting that even things today, contemporary things, which I find highly amusing, have got that kind of British edge to them, which are things like Veep, you know, which I absolutely mm. adored Veep, I just thought, because everyone was despicable in Veep, you know. Um, and yeah. Curb as well, you know. Yeah. There's just something yeah. about watching Curb, your enthusiasm that you can relate to. Yeah, with yeah. Larry David, and it's that kind of, it just has your teeth on edge constantly. And mm. I I just like that that kind of um, bit bit less playing it for laughs and more just observing, going, oh, Jesus, they're not going to do that, are they? It's like,
3: you know... Yeah, watching I just find
0: fingers, like, yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to your work then. So, okay. I mean, when you, when you set about creating a new book, do you write it from the aspects of it being humorous or do you write the story and then feed the humor into it naturally as you start to flesh out the characters and things?
1: Um... It. it, I I think it depends. I mean, like, a a few books I put out now have been based around a joke that didn't have a story. Mm. You know, so like, bald, for instance. Like, for those who haven't read bald, it's about a man who is born bald and stays bald, and it turns out the reason he's bald is because all of his hair follicles are fused together, so no hair will ever grow. And then as he gets older and he's an adult. A doctor tells him that he's going double bald, which means that his skull is receding inside his head. So after a couple of years, you can just see his brain through his skin and it's exposed, right? Yeah. But then as a result of that, the sunlight gives him terrible headaches. So he goes out for walks on the beach at night and the moon is very soothing. And he notices after a while that he can hear a faint voice from the moon through his head. And it gets stronger and stronger and he tells someone about it and with one thing leads to another and he ends up basically leading a sort of like a quasi cult at the working men's club. And that, you know, and uh, that started out just from the idea of, I just thought there was something inherently funny about the idea of someone leading a cult against their will, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I thought, okay, so how do we get there? So, if, so with that one, I worked backwards. So I was like, right, so if you're leading a cult against your will, how do you do that? Well, you must have access to some information that no one else has access to. Well, how would you do that? Some phys- so you've got some like physical feature that no one else on Earth has. What would that be? Uh, yeah. You can see your brain through your head. How would that work? And you work backwards and backwards and backwards until he's a child, and that's how the book starts. You know. Yeah. And um, I, I announced this on my Twitch stream not long ago, but that's actually being adapted into a film by the BFI at the minute. So uh, wow. do keep do keep your eyes out for that. When that comes out uh, next year. So things like that, that was you know started out as like a, a premise, an orphaned premise. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Um other things like like the king, for instance, mm-hmm. um that that was originally gonna be murder one. The right. king was going to murder was gonna come out earlier in the year because I, I i had this idea of like putting out a small thing and it would only be available for a week and then it's gone forever. Yeah. You know? because you know I, I don't know if it's the same with you but one thing i noticed from selling comics is when i announced a new book i'd make a big stupid fuss about it make a video all the rest of it and i'd sell x amount of copies you know it would grow every time and then after there was that big explosion it would just it would just tail off mm. and i'd sell maybe like you know one one a month two a month three a month whatever right so i thought well if like if 99% of the yield for this idea is in this first week let's just make it that and then i haven't got to worry about filling back orders i haven't got to worry about all the rest of it i can and and plus i thought because you know it is like you know you um you run a kickstarter you send the books out people post a picture of the book and they post it on twitter and go oh this is really great yeah thanks hopefully um and that's it. But I thought, well, if it's something like murder where it's only available for a week and then it's gone, mm. that message is going to be different. It's going to be, you know, I'd reckon, you know, and, and a couple of people did do it. They posted it and they said, I would tell you to go and get this, but you can't. Mm. So if someone sees that and goes, what do you mean you can't? Do you know mm. what I mean? So, mm. but the, the king was was originally going to be murder one. I could have thought, you know, but then as I was working on it, I thought this is actually a bigger idea. I, I don't want to just throw it away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, this is this is something bigger than this because it just kept growing and growing. Because, you know, I won't give away the the, the central no, premise, no. but no. you know, it once was... you've got some, once you've got that central core idea of like what comes out of the egg, there's so much you can do with it. You know, yeah, because you you can establish all these rules about what the thing can and can't do, mm. and then around that you can build the joke. So because because you set the rules about the logic of the universe. And then you can make jokes based on the based on the rules that you've invented, and they seem like these jokes have just come out of nowhere. But of course, mm. you have set set those things in motion. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. I, I think it depends. You know? I think yeah, because the story.
0: I, I do get that sense with with reading your stuff. Um, that sometimes I feel as though the the central core of the story, like with the king, for example, I didn't find that. As as though it was pitched as a comedy, as though it was pitched as something humorous. You know, I found it a very introspective piece and a very emotional piece, with actually some very amusing things that happen along the way.
2: Yeah. Whereas
0: the king was less of a comedy. Yeah. Yeah, bald I found you know essentially it was it was very much in the same vein as something like Life of Brian. You know, Mm. where it's like, no, I'm gone. I'm not messiah
1: i'm like but you know nobody will believe it
0: it was that kind of there was it a difference there for me
1: no i think you're right there was a difference for me as well because like mm. you know for, like the, the king was because when the first draft of the king it was more jokey jokey like you know at, at the very end where they end up in a different location and then they yeah. come back yeah. they weren't originally going to come back it was going to end at that place they go to right. sorry to be talking so cryptically for for non-readers, right? But it was going to end have there. It, shouldn't they? Well, you're yeah, absolutely you know I mean? right. Yeah, I've been say, I've, well, I've been saying <laughs> this, Damon. You know what I have. But you know, like, it was going to end there, and it was going to yeah. end on some like pithy, like one-liner thing. Mm. And then I was looking at, it, I looked at the way it had been building and building and building, and I thought I can't just end this on like a da 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 da, you know, like it because it would feel like because you know like an anticlimax can is a perfectly valid way to end a book at times. Like mm. I, I did that poster comic called Sido, which mm. ended on a big fuck you to whoever was reading it. Do you know what I mean like it was this, a building emotional arc and then it just ends on this ridiculous ending. But like when I when I was like working on the king, mm. I thought no, nah, it, it needs to resolve more satisfactorily than this. So even though even though it's built on a ridiculous idea, you know, it's, it's a stupid concept and there's stupid jokes all through it mm. because that's all established early on. And you're just dealing with someone's emotions about it all. It doesn't seem as stupid the further you get into it. You know, so by the time you get to the second location, which is inherently fucking ridiculous, right? It doesn't feel that way mm. because you've been, hopefully, you've been going along with it. And I think yeah. you know, like, so that was yeah, it was definitely meant as a more subtle, yeah. a subtler funny book than something like bald or like night watch or something you know what i mean like yeah it's a big joke at the end yeah. you know I mean? and like,
0: the, the third sort of um style that i i take from your work and this may not be be true it's just just me as a reader is the taxi which i love as well yeah and and i mean again i don't want to give it away because you know people should buy it and read it but i found that slightly different again because that that was a different kind of humor that, that it was one of those kind of books that it started to spiral down a little bit into something a bit darker and a bit darker, but it was still, you know, it, was, it reminded me a bit of, um, you ever seen man bites dog? the Belgian? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was a bit like that. And it, you know, obviously um, for anyone that's ever seen that, that's the story of, um, a, a camera crew that go around and film a serial killer doing his work. as though it's an everyday kind of yeah. fly on the wall yeah. documentary, you know, and there's those things where he's, he's talking about how many rocks you would put in a bag to weigh a body down. Depends if it's a, you know a man, a woman, or a child, whatever it might be. Yeah. And it's bleak as fuck. But it's yeah. it's funny. You know, there's some scenes in it that, that might be troublesome now, but it's bleak, but it's amusing. But you you find yourself almost being drawn into this darker 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 world. And I got that little bit with taxi which yeah you know as I mean, the journey went on I could I could sense that that you know this is yeah. this is funny but I'm starting to
1: feel a bit uncomfortable. The ta- the taxi came from um, uh, I'd say that the biggest direct influence on the taxi was the Twilight Zone, the original Rod Serling Twilight Zones, mm. you know, where you know you wouldn't know quite what was happening until quite late in the day in some cases because some of them would have a big twist at the end, but some of them were just this descent into madness, yeah, you know, and you weren't you wouldn't really be certain, you couldn't really pinpoint where things had gone off the rails, but before yeah. you knew it you realize that things were wrong. And there's a moment in the book where he realizes that things have gone wrong. You know, the mm-hmm. radio cuts out and the doors are locked and you can't get out of the cab, right? Yeah. So, like, the, the Twilight Zone informed that, definitely. So, like, yeah, it's not all been, like, comedy things, because, obviously, like I mentioned, like, The Piano Teacher, you know, mm. Zen to north which was a Peter Greenaway film, which I really liked, you know, A Taste of Honey, things like that, and and the, and the original Rod Serling Twilight Zones were, yeah, were, were influences on things like that as well. mm and again, we'll,
0: we'll put your links, obviously, in the mm. show notes for this. But if anybody's not read some of these, then I would I would urge you to do so, because they are fascinating reads. And the other thing I like about about the way that you um, construct your work is that they tend to be quite small reads as well, in a sense that, you know, they're not kind of like 128-page graphic novels that you've got to plough your way through. You know, they're, they're no. actually perfectly, you can read them in a sitting and then you will go back and reread them. And, re- and each time, you know, you'll find something, well, I do, you find something slightly different when you read it. I mean, plan A, plan B was a perfect example. I know it's constructed that way. that yeah. You could read it one way or the other. But it's never quite the same when, you, when you've when you read it. You know, it's like I've, I've I've found I read it plan A and plan B because that's just the way I work. Yeah. But I know talking to Dan, for example, I think he, ran, he, he read it the other way around. And it took something very different from the story
1: than
2: I
0: did. Yeah. I mean,
1: like, like to me, like canonically, Plan B is first. Like, right? for those who don't know what we're talking about, I put I put a, a flip book out basically. So it was um, on one side, the cover said Plan A, and it was a 16-page story about Plan A of this thing. And mm-hmm. then you turn over, turn the entire book over at the at the spine, and the, and then it was from that side to the middle, it was Plan B, and they both ended on the same. Mm. like double page spread so there's two different stories about two different groups of people both trying to do something you know it, it, unrelated to each other mm. but the stories do connect in the middle at the end and you know i think yeah it, it does you know you do ha- you, you do get a different reading of it depending on which side you start with yeah yeah you
0: know? and i've not read it now for a long time so i'm gonna go back and read it the other way around because well I'm that's thinking- the, that's the way it's meant to yeah. be
1: like I didn't tell anybody this because you know I wanted people to you know mm. you know and also like who fucking cares just read however you want <laughs> like, mm. it's not for me to go around telling people but actually that's the wrong way to read it yeah. so fucking shit <laughs> up, right but you know, like um yeah but for me like I always planned it out like B first and then A as a sort of like you know as like an epilogue to what happened in Plan B but, um, yeah. but yeah I really, I really like Plan A and Plan B I thought it was I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I I do,
0: and I thought it was uh, it was really well constructed from a kind of narrative
1: sense as well. You know, to meet in the middle, quite literally meet in the middle. It's, yeah, it it wasn't actually that it, it was it wasn't that much work actually. Do you know what I mean? Like it it was you know, got to count, make sure you count your pals properly. That's the big fucking thing. But like <laughs> you know thing, things like that and like bald and the king. Like that's the, like I, I don't I don't think I would do another book like the taxi now. Mm. which had like speech bubbles and it was like a linear a panel. You know, I don't think I would do that now.
0: Right. I, I
1: think I've kind of hit my stride with the sort of like the, the picture book format that I've yeah. been using, you know, where they do look like picture books, basically, you know. Mm.
0: And what's the balance of kind of writing to art uh, just just out of interest? So do you, do you find that you spend – I mean, I spend longer trying to write things than draw them. Do you know what I mean? Really? It's just – yeah, it's, oh, I, I no, struggle no, with, no. with writing, as as I've said before. You know, I, I find that the difficult bit. The art bit, I'm more comfortable with. So mm. often when I start something, I'll, I'll kind of have a very loose kind of story arc. And I'll actually almost take a gonzo approach where I start to write the script as I'm drawing the pages from, yeah. from page to page because I tend to find I get more flexibility that way. Plus, if I was yeah. trying to write something fully before I started drawing it, I'd, I'd do one book a year or something, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always change the script a little bit as I go. You know, if I think of something better or, you know, think of better wording or want to, you know, rearrange things a little bit. But basically, like, you know, I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write for an hour now, mm. you know. I've got no discipline at all. Like, I just, if I get an idea, it'll, it'll turn up like that and it turns up fully formed, mm. back. Like, there mm-hmm. it is. In most cases, things like Bald didn't. And, like, plan A, plan B started that way. But then, because plan B was originally going to be a sequel to Bald. Right. So, um, but then I thought, oh, well, hang on a minute. I thought, Bald doesn't really need to be expanded upon. So I changed it a little bit. And then I mm. added, you know, extra stuff to it. And, like, um, but, yeah, the, the writing is the easy bit. Because I, I can hear these things, you know, you know, writing, like, natural, the way people talk. Like that's you know I, I don't I don't find the writing st- stage that difficult. The, the the hard bit for me is the art because because it is it's not about these fantastic it's not these fantastical tales. these, like sci-fi epics where the 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 draw is the spectacle on the page. Mm. You know, mm. like I'm not doing these like massive spaceship battles or fucking you know like any of that stuff. I you know, I, mm. I can't. I haven't got the fucking technical skills to do that. So <laughs> for me the the challenge is like facial acting does this character look right for the dialogue like mm. you know, because i i can hear it in my head but does this character match what i've written does their house look right does, does yeah. this person have the right sort of ornaments on their mantelpiece considering how old they are and their mm. like social status is this how someone in that position would dress because um I put out like a stupid little mini comic earlier in the year called Calvin during like lockdown, and I've just remastered it because I've I've entered it into that Guardian competition. you know they do that graphic oh, short yeah. story contest, so I've, I've entered the remastered version into that. And there's a scene in it in a rugby club, and I had to really wrap my brain. like what is on the wall? You know what would you expect to see on the walls of a rugby club? So you'd have like like a Welsh cap from somebody on the wall. Mm. In a frame, and you know, like maybe like a, a trophy where half the plaques are missing because they <laughs> only did it 1976 to 1982. And then Trevor had, you know, Trevor was the treasurer, but he was fucking dipping his fingers in the till, and you can see yeah. fucking what all he likes, but he fucking was. You can ask anybody you like about it. I don't care. All these little details that allude to like a, a lived in environment. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I probably overthink this. I, I realize I probably. I don't think the average reader is going, oh, hang on a minute. That gas man should have a big, chunky laptop. You know, like those thick <laughs> laptops. <laughs> yeah. He shouldn't have a little laptop. He should have a big, chunky one. But that's a thought I've had. Like, I've, yeah. I, 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 there was a gas man in The King, and I thought, they have chunky laptops. So I had to go back and add it. You know? They, they always have a chunky laptop, don't they? A massive yeah. one. Yeah, they're doing no. what? For fucking typing stuff out on their on their knee? What the fuck are they doing with it? With one going finger. Off, are they fucking off-roading it? They? No, they're not. <laughs> I thought so. I went back and added that. You know, I I spend a lot more time on that kind of thing because yeah. I I think that sort of thing, especially if you're doing like you know a slice of life as they call it, and and comedy as well, that sort of thing, like it lives and dies by quite subtle touches. And I tell you, it was a master of this. There's an artist in Canada who I, I think has probably been the, in terms of the comic side has probably been the biggest influence on me it was um Kate Beaton. She did this historical comic called Harker Vagrant for a very long time, and her sense of comedy and like the facial expressions and the the poses and all that—they were all perfect. Every her art's a bit like Quentin Blake's, in that it's like free flowing and scratchy, and you know, like it's not you know it's not anatomically perfect, but it's perfect for the style of comedy she's doing. And I borrowed so much from Kate Beaton. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. so it's, you know, and she does it so, so well mm. that when I started doing stuff, you know, a, a bit more like I'm doing now, um, I, I thought, well, that's actually what matters if you're trying to do comedy. The facial acting and the, the, the body language and how far people away are from each other in the frame. You know, because bald is about... Like, bold is actually about loneliness right because I think this is like a, like the modern the modern age and all the rest of it especially as we talked about earlier like the working classes right it's mm-hmm. a uniquely lonely time I think mm-hmm. you know especially for like younger working-class people because you look back years gone by there were social clubs yeah you know, they'd be you know everyone everyone pile into the rugby club after work you know all the rest of it there'd be all these things available um and those things kind of all went away and nothing really sort of replaced them you know what I mean Yeah. So there is a generation that remembers those things and remembers them going away, and then there was nothing there to take their place. Mm. And I think, you, you know, like, you know, the way people look back on, like, I don't know, you know, the 1800s, and they say, oh, that was a very conservative time. Like They didn't think it was. They thought they were very forward thinking, but they actually weren't. I think people look back on this time and go, they were really lonely. You know? Yeah. yeah. Even though they thought they weren't. Because they were all connected with their phones and they were all doing Zoom, fucking pub quizzes, all the rest of it. But they were inherently quite lonely. Mm. And Bald was about that. So I was really careful. A lot of the shots in Bald, he is on his own. Even if there's Mm. other people around, he's on his own until the very end when he's got his people around him. So like stuff like that. You know, I try and be careful about the framing of things to make sure that it's on track with like what I'm actually going for. You know, mm. like, and again, mm. it's probably overthinking it. And there's probably people listening to this going, "You fucking what? You're talking about the fucking working classes now? You're talking about framing the fuck? Get the, f-. you know what I mean?" But I, I think it is important if you're going to do is. like comedy and stuff like that, and especially yeah. comedy that is sometimes has like a sad element or something like that. If you expect people to go along with you, you've got to have this stuff right.
0: Yeah, and if you look at things again, you know we talked about the royal family before, mm. and that was a master at that kind of mm. setting the scene. You know, there's a lot, there's Absolutely. lots of things in the royal family that, when you watch it, make you laugh before they've even said anything, because yeah. you're looking at the furniture, you're looking at the wallpaper, you're yeah. looking at, at, you know, the dirty light switches and the grease stains up behind the, the cooker, which yeah. makes us laugh because you know H-I'll be going, oh god, you know, and because we all knew people. Who had that? And, yeah. you know the episode. That I think the greatest episode they ever did, where they're trying to strip the wallpaper. The wallpaper, and you know, there's still and that and patch for the rest of the series. And yeah, and even through the Christmas, which is the next yeah. great one, when when you know the dad comes around and you know bloody big Ed Roger and all that, yeah. and the wallpaper is still <laughs> hanging off the wall. You know, there's still patches, and they're, they're trying to get it off with spatulas. And
1: yeah, and where, you the, go, where you going, Jim? I'm going to sweep the bloody helipad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But that's that attention to detail, though, is what makes it funny before you Mm. even begin, because it puts you in a sense of place that I think not everyone would get it. You know, I'm sure if you grew up in a very posh, you know, and clean and should I say, you know, almost disinfected sort of house, then you might not pick up on those things. You might just look at it going, oh, look at that wallpaper. But to us, you kind of go, Christ, you know, the the Georges next door had that bloody wallpaper and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and it was, and it
0: immediately uh, makes you laugh. It makes me smile just looking
1: at it. Yeah, so, me too. And and uh, one of one of the things I really loved in the royal family was um there was a bit of like cam of like camera work that was in the royal family that I think was f- f- fucking brilliant, right? It was yeah, because we're all sat around it's um it's uh Ralph Little as Anthony, Craig Cash as David, and Ricky Tomlinson as Jim, right? And they're spaced out so like Anthony's on the chair by the window, mm. Dave's on the sofa, Jim's in his chair, right? So none of them are in the same frame for more than a couple of seconds. And I can't remember what the question was. I think Dave asked Anthony something innocuous. And Anthony revealed, he said, oh, um, I'm managing a band. And yeah. before the cameras even come off him, you can hear Jim laughing uproariously. Ah! <laughs> and then it cuts to Jim and he is in stitches. You know what I mean? But the yeah. fact that it, you just had that you registered that second of embarrassment on Anthony's face because Jim couldn't hold it in. Dave, <clears throat> how do you go about getting a gig in the feathers?
3: What to me? Tell them about your new venture. What is it? The antidote for the suspected... Well, I'm managing a band. Not the Elif Brian
1: Stuff like that. I can talk about the royal family all night, but like you know, it was. Yeah. I, I just thought they were so clever about the way they did it, you know. And, and you know, I think things like you know, like the wallpaper on the wall, mm. and you know, like um all the all the cups of tea. Like half the cups are like cups you get from yeah. a set with an Easter egg.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like a Twix mug. Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> yeah. Things like that. It's just the little details, and that's you know that's art department as much as anything else. But I think stuff like that really matters if you're trying to build a convincing world for people Mm -hmm. to you know. So because the worst thing that you could have would be like some for somebody to feel like they've they've looked through the fourth wall a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, hang on a minute. Do you know what I mean? Like this isn't actually you know no one wants to see the simulation, do they?
0: No. So just kind of moving on to types of comedy. Then I was looking at various quotes and stuff and there's one that came across that I remember hearing before and it's John Cleese who said that uh, comedy always works best when it's mean-spirited. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think personally, I think it, it can do, Um, you know, as we talked earlier about things like Kirby enthusiasm, but a lot of that is actually quite mean-spirited and, you know, again, almost venomous stuff. But, I'm not sure whether I agree that it always works best that way. And I, I, I just wondered what your take was. I mean, do you ever think that comedy can go too far in that sense? Um, I, I'm
1: I'm I'm certainly not one of those people who's like, um, you know, uh, I can joke about anything. Do you know what I mean like you know like, I mean, I I've heard people say this, and you know, I think I I think Limmy said it best because he said, you know, I think I think I can tell a joke about any subject as long as it's handled, you know. Um, sensitively, if required, or you know, if it's if the context is right, I think you probably can make a joke about anything, mm. or, or all the rest of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure I agree that um, the best comedy is mean spirited because I, I think some, And again, like, harking back to the royal family, I think like some people could look at the royal family and say that it's mean spirited, but it really isn't. Mm. You know, it, it's a very affectionate, you know, it's a very affectionate show, even mm. though Jamie's quite cruel to Anthony at times and they take the piss out of each other that but it's a it's a there's no genuine malice in any of it Mm. like i think i don't know i I don't know i mean no i don't i don't think the best comedy by default is mean spirits i think i i I think like you know if you have like comedy where people are like really blowing their lids at each other out of just frustration at their environment like something like um like you said veep or you know like the thick of it or the death of Stalin. Mm. Where they are, you know, really you know, like where, where there's someone important around who can't hear the arguments, but they are just really under their breath at each other. Mm. That kind of thing can be very funny. I, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I don't, I know I don't agree with that either. I don't think that's strictly true. I mean, no. I, I think yeah, you know, when you say oh, you know, can comedy go too far? Well, yeah, of course it can. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there's a lot of like comedy that is mean spirited for the sake of being mean spirited, yeah. and there are some people who just who want to go to a comedy show to to hear. Jokes about, when it jokes about immigrants or jokes about, you know, black people or gay people mm. or you know, whatever like mm. that. You know, like Roy Chevy Brown will still be selling out shows when COVID goes away. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, there will still be an audience for comedy that, you know, what people refer to as punching down. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm. you know, it's, you know I, I don't, I don't like that term anyway. But you know, but it's what people refer to as punching down. Mm. But it, you know, I don't, th- no, I don't think it's necessarily true. This is, no. this is quite a long answer. No, is quite a long answer. No, no I don't agree, Damien. <laughs> it's
0: an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes you, you think, well, maybe some of it is. Because, I mean, I, I love Steptoe and Son. Mm. You know, what a dynamic that was. You know, I mean, I know off camera they truly despised each other as well. But, yeah. you know, that, that whole dynamic they had about him and his, his dad. And they genuinely, genuinely disliked each other in the show. And it wasn't just like, oh, well, you know, I love him really. I mean, there's one where he thinks he's died and he's... He's dancing around the living room, you know, because yeah. he's gone and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, actually, is, is that a fair point? But I don't think it is, because
1: I, I don't think it's a universal truth. That's an truth. exception. Yeah. yeah, like I think you know, you look at things like like Bottom, for instance. That is that is an example of gratuitously mean comedy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it is, but but it is unapologetic. It is like this. You know, if you if you know, you watch Bottom for this if you want to see Rick Mail in it with his shirt tucked into his underpants, getting a frying pan over the head or burning his face on a stove or whatever, you know, like a sort of ECW version of Laurel and Hardy. This is what we are offering. Yeah. You know, like this, you know, don't want, you know, if, if you want a, a, a warm family sitcom, do not watch bottom. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I think, you know, like, I don't know. And it's really, it's really complicated, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It is. Like, it is. Yeah. yeah. I don't think. It, I don't think it's a universal truth. I think. It, it, I think it can work, but yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a rule. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. it has to be spirited. You know.
0: You know. I suppose I've got to ask you, but have you ever had, had a crack at stand up yourself, or is it something you'd ever have a, a hankering you'd like to do, or is it just something that you think no, it's not for me?
1: I did several times when I was living in Manchester. Yeah, I did. I thought you would have done. I did. I don't yeah. know
0: why. I just had a good, I had a funny feeling, you know, when I was writing the questions. I, I thought. I thought you probably would have done.
1: And how did you no, find I didn't. it? Um, well, is it, well, when I when I it was all while I was living in Manchester basically because mm. well you know when you go to university you reinvent yourself don't you right so like when I was living in Manchester I thought I'm gonna do you know because I came from like a dead sleepy village just outside of Cardiff right and and then before that I was you know like born and raised in Barry so I thought there wasn't like an artsy comedy club in Barry there was the Savoy which was a pool hall where all the moshers as they used to call them used to go and underage drink and then they'd fight yeah. with the townies outside the cinema <laughs> and that was and that was the premier entertainment in barry for yeah. quite, quite a number of years so i get to manchester and there was you know all these little little comedy clubs and little open mics on the rest of it. i thought fuck it i'm gonna have a go fuck it you know like no one mm-hmm. around here knows me it's not like anyone you know and this was just before like in like 2010 the age of like t- like filming a stand-up performance on your phone and sticking it on the internet was mm. just around the corner I don't think I would do it now, you know. Mm. But I, there was an open mic in Manchester called the Comedy Balloon, um, which I think well will we'll still be running when things go back to normal. It's at the Ape and Apple. Um, yeah, it's on John Dalton Street. Ape and Apple. It's temporarily closed, but it will come back. Um, they had this uh, thing called the Comedy Balloon. So um, I knew somebody who was kind of involved in it, and I said, oh, "Look, I said, what kind of night is this really?" He said, "It's all right, you know, um, but it's like a general. It's like an open access." Mm. open mic night so it's not all going to be comedy nerds there will be some of the public there as well because uh, i didn't really fancy doing like a gong show which was mm-hmm. uh what the frog and bucket used to do and the frog and bucket gong show beat the frog was vicious i went to a few of them and you know people were getting booed off after like a yeah. minute And i thought that's really harsh so <laughs> i went to an easy one and i did it twice and I did pretty well, I will say. I did, considering I would never done it before. I think I did. I did, I got a decent amount of laughs all the way through.
2: Mm.
1: But the problem was that I had pre-written and pre-recorded it to such a painstaking extent. But I thought I, I need to have this written, written down and memorized. Mm. I need to be able to go up there and do it like I'm saying it for the first time. So, so I, I like the first book and I had was like eight weeks out, and I spent the entire eight weeks. Preparing for it, and I didn't enjoy a second of the time I was up there. Mm. I was just so scared of like of it falling around me. And then I thought I'll do it again. I'll do a little bit less prep this time. Mm. You know, maybe just go with it a little bit, right? And it still went pretty well, but I noticed it went proportionately less well for how for how much less I prepared. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I thought if I've got to do eight weeks of prep for ten minutes a time, yeah, I can't. You know, I can't. I can't do it. Um, maybe now, because the thing is, I was like 20. How old would I have been? 20, 22, 23. Right. And because the funny thing about it is, before I moved to Manchester, i have been working as a magician. And that's true, that is, right? Oh, I, right. I, 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 was know a, that. I worked as a tabletop magician and I worked as like. Uh, there was like this like freak show collective thing that used to run around Cardiff and Bristol and you know, so I used to do the the nail up the nose and the swallowing needles and all this other stuff, right? So I wasn't nervous around crowds. Yeah but the thing is if you're doing, you know, magic at someone's 40th birthday party and you're stealing watches and all this other shit that I was doing, um you don't need to be you know, you, you don't need to be personally engaging because you've got this mm. crutch. Like, mm. so I wasn't nervous around people doing that. But then when I got to Manchester, I bin that off because magic doesn't pay kids, and that's the, the real truth of it, right? <laughs> but um, I got there, and I thought, uh, yeah, it was just like I wasn't bad at it, but I, I I wasn't at a at a point where I could just be like naturally. But I think maybe now, I, I think you know, when things come back, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll try it again one day, but. Mm. I don't know. Like uh, I I didn't enjoy it. That's the thing. Like that that's really what it boils down to. I didn't enjoy doing it. You know what I think? If you're not yeah. enjoying it, it's too much work for someone you're not enjoying.
0: No, I can imagine. I can imagine. i I always had a, I've always had a hankering to try it, but I was
1: gonna say I just don't
0: it. think I could do it. I don't think I think I'm too grumpy now as well. I just end up
1: fucking ranting. <laughs> oh, i saw plenty of that i saw plenty of people going up there people who had clearly been encouraged by their mates because they were funny yeah. at work people going up there and telling stories about their boss but of course we don't know who your boss is do we so you're gonna yeah, have to exactly. tell us you know yeah you know it's a it's it's a distinct art form isn't it it's an art form unto itself and it was you know it was an interesting experience i'm really glad i did it mm. um but which i can't say about magic because magic fucking sucked but uh you know it was it was interesting, but I don't think I'll ever do it again. I don't think I could do it. No, I don't think uh, I. No, I don't think I'd be any good at it. To be honest, with you not not really. I didn't know you were a magician though. That was
0: interesting. No, no, I'm on sleeve.
1: Hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> no, the reason I keep it on my sleeve is because it fucking sucked. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but that's oh that. God. You see,
0: that appeals to me though. That is even better than you know that Tommy Cooper style of you know. Oh, he, yeah. was, well, I, he was a genius. I, I wish you know, I could have like, done yeah, what, what he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, God. That, to me, is great than any, any... I mean, I love Penn and Teller and stuff, but Tommy Cooper, I always mm. find, you know, a million times more amusing.
1: Oh, same. Um, yeah, definitely.
0: Great. That's been really good, mate. It's been really interesting. And I know we kind of didn't just stick to your work, but obviously we just wanted to talk about comedy and humour in general. and um,
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, uh, no, I yeah, have definitely, yeah. So, do you want to just tell us about any upcoming projects that you might have? I mean, I know you mentioned obviously the the BFI thing, which is congratulations. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, anything else that you can tell us? I know mean, obviously a lot of your work is needs to be kept kind of under the radar a little bit because we wouldn't want to spoil it for for people. But yeah, you've got Murder Two on the way, I believe. Yeah,
1: Murder Two. I mean, I, I hope I'm hoping that will be like first thing 2021. Mm or maybe a little bit sooner but you know and then i've i've got the graphic novel i've been chipping away at slowly for the last year and a bit which is about um uh, frogs and the rapture yeah which will be yeah. um this year coming hopefully um but yeah like the the film has been taking up a bit of my time because i you know i've been you know having to do yeah my um, like character reference stuff mm-hmm. for the for the prosthetics it's, it's bizarre honestly that's a really really strange thing to be doing how did but, that come um, about would you mind me asking is it no that's no, fine um yeah um a mate of mine from way back mm-hmm. who is a mancunian and a mm-hmm. film director and a very good one he had a meeting with them and they said oh have you got anything to pitch to us and he just he pitched them bald <laughs> he didn't tell me he was going to do it <laughs> but he just pitched it to him and they went fantastic they went, Oh, that sounds great. We'll have that. So he emailed me, he said, I've pitched this. Is that all right? <laughs> like so I said, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, so that's going ahead. I think that's I think the idea is that's gonna be filmed in the new year, um, COVID permitting, obviously. Mm. But um, yeah, it's fully it's, it's gonna be a short film. It's not you know, it's not gonna be yeah. in the cinema, it's gonna be on BBC four at two in the morning. But you know, yeah, it's fully like BFI funded you know it's it's a proper it's a real film based Mm -hmm. on a stupid book
0: (laughs) that's all it's a great story bold and again you know i know we've given a bit of it away but i do urge people if you've if you've never read it you should Um...
1: well yeah i I think i think people who've read the book will like the film from what i feel like because you know i've obviously been quite closely involved like the script Mm -hmm. that's been coming together and all the rest of it and I've told them I'm I'm in the film. I said I was like, going to say that's yeah, non-negotiable. I'm yeah, yeah, I'm in it. Of course, I'm in it. Yeah, I said that's like non-negotiable. I'm going to be in that film. Of course, I'm just in the background. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah, just just there, just there, visible on the screen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think if you like the book, you'll like the film. You know, it's it's true true to the original. You know.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to go back and reread it with with the angle of of the loneliness that you were talking about, and just yeah. to see if it affects the way I, I've. I perceived it the first time to the second time. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Great. That's that's fantastic. Anything else that you've got on the boil? Have you seen any return of any any of your previous do you think you'd ever do that where you'll you'll do a kind of sequel to something you've done before?
1: Do you know what? I had um uh I had a drift to like mm. um a sort of a follow-on from a drift um written not long ago. I'm not sure if I'll do anything with it, because because they are like you know it's like a self-contained story like we talked about like th- there's not usually much scope to go back because mm. like you couldn't do like the king you know, mm. yeah. like, 2 you know you couldn't do like night watch 2 you know you couldn't a lot of these things are the complete thing you know small self-contained object i mean there's some things that you know i've i've maybe thought about going back to like bald was originally going to be um you know plan b was going to be like an extension of bald but then i yeah. changed it um i don't think so i mean never say never obviously but you know like murder 2 is come in and that's going to be a completely different story again to murder 1 like it's not a follow-on it's a completely different mm-hmm. uh, story a different story yeah I don't, I don't you know never say never there, there's no plans at the minute i mean if if bald the film takes off um, we could see, we could serialize it like the Marvel films. It could be like a ten-year project, <laughs> roping all the big players. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But um, yeah, no, there's no no, Im- no imminent plans. No, just new stuff, folks, and that's fucking you know, that's the way to do it.
0: Well, that's it. And so we're not going to see the Tuckerverse taking. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have thought so. No. No. Oh well, you know. We, ah, well. We, well, if you do, you know, remember that you you're here first, folks. So, yeah. right <laughs> Just finally then, I suppose I've got to ask you because you know we would and this might put you on a spot a little bit, but what's your favorite joke?
1: Oh fuck, that's really hard. <laughs> favorite joke.
0: I'll tell you mine while you're having a think. Go on. And then, yeah. And this always, always makes me laugh. And it's uh what's brown and sticky? A stick. Yeah. And there's just something about that joke <laughs> that, that always makes me giggle. And I think a lot of the time it's people's reaction to it because they're just like, what the fuck? You know what
1: I mean? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Favourite joke. Shit. I think probably my favourite joke is... Right. So there's um, a fellow working at a job centre. Right. And um, door to his office opens. And then onto the seat jumps a duck. Right. And the duck says, uh, I need a job. And he says, What? He says, I need a job. I've got a job. I need a job. And he goes, You can talk. He says, Yeah. He said, I need a job. And he goes... Oh my God! So he goes right. Um, wait here a second. Just wait here, right? So he goes out of his office and he goes into the next one over, and he picks up the phone and he rings the um, the, the ringmaster of the circus, right? And he says, "I've got," he said, "a talking duck has just walked into my office, and he said he needs a job." And the fellow from the circus goes, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, no, seriously." He says, you, "You can you can speak fully." He said, yeah, he said he answers he answered my questions. You know, he um. He says, it's a talking duck. It's a duck that speaks perfect English. And he goes, well, he says, he said, are you interested in him? He said, yeah, of course we're interested. He said, Christ, he said, if he does what you say, you can do. He said, well, he said, tell him, we'll pay him whatever he wants. We'll put him on an easy schedule. You know, if he, if he really is what you say he is, if he's a talking duck, we'll take him. And he goes, fantastic. So I'll give him your contact details. Right. Great. Yeah. right. So he goes back into the office where the duck's waiting He sits down. He goes, well, he says, I got some good news to you. So I found you a job. And he goes, what, already? He goes, yeah. He said, um, so I've been in touch with the circus. And he said, they'll pay you anything you want put you on an easy schedule if you know, if you're willing to go there and be an attraction for the circus, you know, a talking duck. And he goes, the circus? And the guy at the job center goes, yeah. And the duck goes, but I'm a welder. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that joke. It's good. It is good. So um, John Tucker coming to um stand-up post-Covid tour near you soon, I yeah. would expect. In the meantime, just tell people where they can find uh, just some of the stuff we've been talking about. I mean, obviously, some of the stuff that, that is no longer available, so that's shame on you for not picking it up when you could have done. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, John, do you want to give us links to your socials and your websites, etc.? Yeah,
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, I shut my shop because of Covid. I'll be reopening it in the coming like couple of weeks um, now that I'm back into a rhythm at the post office. Um, but if you want a digital collection of everything I've ever done, uh, except for Murder, of course, which was limited, as we've discussed. And and I've heard a couple of people basically w- waiting for me to cross myself on that. Oh, it'll be on Comic House in the end. There'll be a collection. And mm-hmm. to those people I say, by all means, hold your breath, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if you want everything I've done except for Murder, so it's like 323 pages of every comic I've done from 2016 through to now, um, if you go to gum.co forward slash uh, jt pb fpb right and that stands for john tucker picture books for bad people because that's the name of the compilation that's as so as gum.co go c o forward slash jt pb and that's picture books for bad people which is everything i've done mm-hmm. um my shop will be available if you go to john um, my shop will be on there I'm probably most active on Twitter. I'm uh, at John Tucker Art on there. I did want um, John Tucker 420 Daddy, but someone had it, so I had to settle for art. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's probably the be- that's probably the best way to keep to keep on top of things. Um we we may be running a we may be running like a little mini Kickstarter next year for the Bald film. Because it's All fully right. funded, but of course we have to buy a load of PPE equipment now, which we yeah. didn't budget for. So um, there may be things like, you know, uh, maybe an exclusive black and white version of bald or maybe a cameo in the film available, you know, things, little things like that. Yeah. In the year. I don't know if that's nailed on yet, but it's something we've been talking about. It's, it's coming out regardless, but, you know, there may be um, little bonuses available later in the year if you want to be in a film that 80 people are going to see. Superb. <laughs> and your Twitch stream, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, I've been on paternity leave. Twitch offers a very generous package for paternity leave, but um, I will be coming back eminently. So if you go to um, twitch.tv forward slash John Tucker Art, that's um, John with an H and then Art like you spell it. Um, yeah, that's where I go on to play American Truck Simulator, to <laughs> argue with my audience and to generally be abused. So if you want to go on Twitch and watch me either draw or driving a truck, uh, twitch.tv forward slash John Tucker Art fantastic cheers john
0: and if you want to learn more about me and what i do everything's art 92 so we're at art92.com there's a shop on there where you can still buy comics and things because we've still got boxes of them here um same face facebook instagram twitter it's all art92.com because as i say every week you know you you get to our age and you're lucky if you remember to put your big french knickers on in the morning you know and if you have more than one handle You've no chance, have you? Do you know what I mean?
1: No, quite Um, right.
0: And if you've enjoyed this show, and I I would imagine you you have, because I know I have, then you can check out previous episodes. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, and all sorts of stuff. There's so much stuff out there. It's like, yeah, you you know, I didn't know podcast. I don't know how podcasts work, to be honest.
1: Best uh, to let the eggheads deal with that, I would say. And also, um, not to uh, not to step on Damien's cross promotion here. But um, Damien's Mrs. Hate has been doing some very, very good drawing tutorials, one of which we actually did on the Twitch stream and it got a very good reaction. So if you want to learn learn how to draw stuff properly now, right, go and have a look at uh, H's drawing tutorials because uh, we learned how to draw cats and we were all better off for it. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's good. Good stuff.
0: She puts a lot of time and effort into those things. You can tell,
1: they're they're really, really good. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of them now, and yeah, they're really, really good, so they're definitely worth going and having a look at. That's brilliant, mate. Thank you. She'll appreciate
0: that as well. So um, if you like us, subscribe to us. If you don't like us, then bollocks to you, you
1: know. 100% absolutely. Right, Damien.
0: And uh, thanks again to John for giving up his evening and and joining us. And join us again next week for another in our series of of Art Of programmes. And I'll leave you with a quote by Steve Martin who said that comedy is making people laugh without making them puke. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Goodbye. ta da